Welcome to Revolution, guys. We're excited you're here. We got a pretty good turnout. Um, real quick, we have a couple of announcements. First off, if you want to get involved in Revolution, there are multiple ministries that need people like inten- immense- intensely, immensely, a lot. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we have East End Ministries going on. If you're not familiar with that, we have some missionaries from the church who live in the East End and are witnessing to the community through um, building relationships and through um, improving that area. And I think they work on Friday nights at 5 o'clock. They have some cookouts and stuff, so you can help out with that, eat some hamburgers and, and mingle. Um, and then Saturday mornings, did you say 10? I'm sorry. <clears throat> Well, and they say I'm indecisive. I just scheduled a time. Get a hold of the boys. Saturday mornings, they go pick up trash, and that's been pretty productive. Um, Also, nursery. Guys, it is such a blessing to teach kiddos the gospel. So much so that I'm willing to give up my spot so that you can do it. Because it is so much fun. No, I'm kidding. But for real, um... If you like kids and you like the gospel, that is the ministry for you. Um, Also, we are kicking off a women's ministry um, online. It's going to be called uh, RevFormation.com, and that starts May 10th. Um, And there is also the Welcome Committee. If you guys want to wear one of these cool badges and say hello to people when they enter the door, you can come see me, come see one of the leadership guys. Um, other than that, I think, um, that's about it. So, um, we can pray. Do you want me to pray? I can do that. I've been working on it. I do it every day. (laughs) That's funny. You guys can be like, yeah. All right. Let's bow our heads. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for for revolution and allowing us to worship you together and for allowing us to be able to count on one another, um, for accountability, for questions, God. Um, thank you for a gospel-centered church and gospel-centered pastors. Um, we just love you so much. Please let today be complete worship of who you are and what you do, God. We love you so much, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hello? Hello? What's up, Rev? How's it going? My name is Eric Kimsey. I am an associate pastor here at Revolution. Uh, I'm just some random guy that they, uh, I don't know, didn't pick up on the street, but came in through the college and kind of got really involved with Rev, and I have been here for a few years, and I just love it, and uh, now I get to serve you guys, so that's pretty cool. Um, Tonight we're going to be in John chapter 3, so if you want to get the blue Bibles out or whatever Bible you brought, uh, turn to John chapter 3. That starts, our text will start on page 638 of the blue Bibles. Those blue Bibles on your chairs, they are for you if you need a Bible, if you don't have one or if you uh, can't understand your Bible uh, that you have at home and you like this one, it makes sense to you, take it with you. It's going to help you to read more because that's, that's what we want. We want you guys to be in Scripture uh, every single day. And uh, we hope that uh, this can be a, a good tool for you um, to do that. So, while you're turning to John 3, I wanted to tell you about a little story from last Sunday. 
Last Sunday was Easter, and we had a, a baptism uh, service, and it was really awesome. We got to baptize five people who just wanted to publicly display their faith in Christ. They wanted to show um, the gospel in a physical form, that they, they have died to sin in Christ, and that they were raised again to, to walk in a new life um, that Christ has given them, and it was just beautiful and awesome, and and, and that service took some preparation, right? We had to, get, had to drag the baptistry out and like set it up right here and, and put it together and, and run a big long hose in here and fill it up. And it takes a while to fill up. It takes like an hour. Um, so I'm sitting in here, and I'm texting uh, my lovely, I don't even know where she is, my lovely fiance, Hannah, and uh, she sends me a picture of her in her Easter dress, and she looks really pretty. I hadn't seen her that morning, and uh, she looked really beautiful, so I, I text back, you look great, send. And uh, then I look down at my phone and immediately see that uh, Siri helped me out and auto-corrected to, you look greasy. So <laughs> I, I noticed immediately, and not 10 seconds after I sent it, I typed back, oh my gosh, what? I don't know what happened. It was uh, the worst autocorrect ever. You look great. That's what I meant to say. You look great. And, uh, and of course, that didn't get to her for like two minutes, you know? It was like the longest two minutes of my life before she responded. Um, so we experienced our first bit of marital miscommunication uh, on Easter Sunday. And I just wanted to share that because it was a funny story. It has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about tonight. Um, <laughs> But, I guess I will use this kind of as a transition. I have always been a pretty good kid. I just occasionally say really stupid things, kind of like that. Um, That's just kind of been my thing. I say stupid things, it gets me in trouble, or I jump into something and it gets me in trouble. Uh, But other than that, I grew up as kind of like a pretty good kid. I was raised in a pretty normal family. Uh, we, we, it wasn't like really a Christian home. We went to church every once in a while. Um, but, you know, my family, they're like, a, they give to the community. They're really involved in the community. My dad, whenever we go anywhere, knows everybody there uh, and talks to every single one of them. And like as kids, we're like, dad, we want to leave. We want to go home. And it just drove us crazy that he just knew everybody. But that was the kind of family we were. We were really involved in everything. And so I was really involved in a lot of sports. I I got good grades. I was a pretty good kid. Never got into anything serious. Never drank in high school. Never partied. Uh, You know, I was, whatever doubt he was, I was the opposite. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. It was too easy. You're right there. Um, So I was was a pretty good kid. So uh, I guess I never, for a long time, I just really didn't feel the need for any kind of Jesus, you know? Like, I'm a pretty good kid, right? Like, I'm basically a good person. Um, And so I went on to college. I became an RA there, got really involved there. And I just found out that I love busting people, right? Like, all the freshmen, oh, man, I would catch you underage drinking, I would write you up and send you into the dean and you're in trouble, and I love busting people for smoking marijuana and all that stuff, like, it was my favorite, I don't know what it was, I just loved busting people, 
I, I should have, like, become a cop afterwards. In fact, one of my RA friends did become a cop. Like, we were just all about being enforcers. Um, but anyways, I love, I, I found out that I, I love justice. I loved when the bad guy got their comeuppance, right? Comeuppance, that's a word, that, that's a college word right there. <laughs> Anyway, I loved it whenever the bad guy got his due. Uh, And upon thinking about this more, I realized that all of us love that. That we all love justice. Think about it. How many crime shows are on TV? How many CSIs are there? Can anybody name them all? (laughs) You got like Miami, you got like Lost. I don't even know them all. My mom watches every single one of them though go home and check the DVR and there's like 14 CSIs and law and orders and all that junk. My favorite was Sherlock. Anybody like Sherlock? Yeah. See? It's for the smart people. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I'm not smart. Um, But we love justice. It's ingrained in our society. Think about every movie that you've watched. Every Disney movie, right? Seen Frozen lately? That's like my new thing. I like Frozen, and I'm a guy, so get over it. That's just a fact. Frozen's pretty awesome. But when the the bad guy gets it in the end, every time, doesn't he? Almost every time, in all those kinds of movies. How come we don't have more movies that aren't like that, or TV shows? How come the bad guy doesn't win all the time? Because then it would be a crappy story. Nobody wants to watch that. We want the bad guy to lose in the end. And uh, we, our hearts are naturally inclined to want good to triumph over evil. Uh, but the problem is, is that we believe we're good, and none of us believe we're evil, right? That we've bought into a lie that we're all basically good people. And I bought into that lie for a long, long time. Um. And, and we, can, we can look back on Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, uh, the, Satan comes along and, and he tells them, hey, you can be like God. You can have knowledge like God. You can have power like God. You just have to eat this fruit. And they would eat the fruit because they wanted to be like God, but, you know, not in a good way. We all have that same desire. We want to run the show. We want to be uh, our own people. We want to seek our own pleasure. But we think we're basically good people, right? Got a few flaws, right? I like to eat junk food. I like to listen to Katy Perry. I'm not, I don't personally like listening to Katy Perry. I'm just throwing that out there. Doesn't Ryan like Katy Perry? Is that a thing? What? Wolaszek. Steve, where is Steve? Anyway, he likes Katy Perry, right? We got our guilty pleasures. We got our, we got our flaws. Um, but we're basically good people, right? We've got some things to work on, but, you know, we're all right. We're human. We make mistakes. But how many of us have wrestled with the question, will I ever be good enough? Anybody? Will I ever be good enough in anything? Will I ever be good enough? Hands need to raise right now. I know we're acting like Baptists right now. <laughs> Nobody wants to raise their hand. Just, that's another joke. That's a bad joke. Um, 
Anyway, it can be in anything. It can be in weight loss. It can be in, like, personal vices. It can be in, like, emotional issues. It can be in relationships. You guys can name anything, and we've felt not good enough in it. No matter what it is. But we live in this lie that if we're only, if we could only be better, then we could solve all of our problems, right? Ever bought into that one? If I'm good enough at this, I'll solve all my problems. If I, if I get a better job and make more money, it'll solve all my problems right now. If I, um, if I work out and lose a little weight, that's going to solve all my problems. If I get good grades, it's going to solve all my problems. We have the same lie in our hearts over and over. If we can only be good enough, that'll be the end to our problems. But the the problem with this is that if we, we're going to go ahead and look at Romans 3 now. Actually, I'm just going to go ahead and and read 9 through 19. You guys can follow along. I think we're going to have it up here. Romans 3, 9 through 19. I'm in John 3. That's not the right book at all. Who set this up for me? Oh, wait, that was me. All right, Romans 3, 9 through 19. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews... This is Paul talking to Jewish people in Rome. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. No one is righteous. No, not one. And this isn't like a no one, like, oh, that's the other people, right? We like to think of like, oh, we're like, we're like, you know, the good people, and they're like the other people. But this no one is a, is a universal phrase. It's no one, none of us. Every single one of us, including myself, including every righteous, I don't know, religious person you've ever met is, is included in this. And the simple fact is, is that we can't be good enough. Because, uh, let's look at Romans, uh, or the next verse, verse 20. It says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So we can follow every rule. We can be like the Pharisees from 
from in the Gospels that we see. Uh, We can be just like those guys, follow every rule, every law, and not be good enough. We are still sinful at our core. Because it's actually it's a kind of a funny dynamic that I've found out that the more that I study Scripture and the more that I feel like I grow closer to Jesus, the more I realize how big the gap is between us. The more I realize how much the cross has to cover that gap. Anybody else have a similar experience there? That we, we realize how, the more that I study Scripture, the more I realize how terrible of a person I am. It's just kind of a function of what happens whenever you read Scripture. And this text is, is uh, no exception to that rule. So, if you're still not convinced that we're not basically good people or whatever, then uh, here's a test for you. I'm going to hook up a, a machine to your brain. I'm going to stick it on your head, and I'm going to hook it up to the projector, and we're going to project every one of your thoughts and your feelings and your actions that you've ever committed on the screen for everyone to watch. Who's going to be okay with that? No one. Because we all know the deep, dark things that happen in our heart, the things that happen in, in secret the things that we don't even want to admit cross our mind, that at our core, there is rebellion. And we would be ashamed for it to be displayed up here. We're all in that boat. All of us. But the good thing is that this this Christianity, following Jesus, is, is not about being a better person, at least not solely about being a better person. Following Jesus is not about being a better you. A better you doesn't solve your problems. Because the difference between being a better you and actually following Jesus is that Jesus actually wants to make you a new creation not just improve on where you're at. And how does he make us a new creation? This is something that we, we hit on every single week. Uh, Dowdy and I and Ryan and, and Corey make sure that the gospel is at the center of everything that we teach every week because that is how God changes our heart. That's how we come to know and follow Christ. And what, I mean, what is that gospel? First of all, we like to harp on this every day. I just harped on it for like the last 15 minutes. Uh, We are condemned before God. We are bad people. We are in rebellion. We have sinned against God and he is holy and perfect and our sin is infinitely damnable before God. None of us are innocent. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, to live that perfect life, to live the life that you were supposed to, that perfect life of obedience and God-glorifyingness, the life that we couldn't, the life that we wouldn't, 
Can you even imagine that? Like, I don't even think I have a framework to understand what a perfect life looks like. A life that completely follows God, uh, completely glorifies God in every respect. But we could hook that same machine up to Jesus and project every thought, every emotion, every action that he's ever done on that screen. And we could rewind it, we could fast forward, we could play it in slow-mo, we could scrutinize every moment of it. And we would not find a single sin, not a single uh, flash of unjust anger, not a single lustful thought, not an ounce, not a speck of sin. I can't even fathom that. Because as far as I've known, I've been surrounded by the brokenness of sin my entire life. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know how to do that. I like kind of know, but I don't know how to do that all the time. And it's that life is what we're supposed to be all along. So Adam and Eve were supposed to be all along. And and we chose to say that we wanted to be God. We wanted to be like God, not in a good way, but that we wanted to make our own rules. We wanted to live our own lives. We wanted to seek our own pleasure first. We wanted rebellion. And, and you guys can all answer with me. What is the, the punishment for rebellion against the king in any kingdom ever? Death death. And it's a just punishment. It's treason. We can look at Romans 6.23. I don't know if we have it up there or not. Do we have it, Corey? 6.23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short. Because every sin, big or small, is equally damnable. They all deserve death. And why is that? Because they're sins against a perfect and innocent holy God. Just like whenever we uh, hear about crimes, uh, we hear about like child abuse. Everybody like, they're ready to stand up and, and jack somebody in the face if you find out they've abused a child, Right? Like, not one of us doesn't feel righteous anger over a child being abused. And why is that? Because the child's innocent, right? We, we like that purity and that innocence of a, of a child. Well, we take that and we magnify it to infinity to have the innocence and holiness of God. And so that makes it every single teeny tiny crime against him infinitely heinous. And so, every single crime against the king, our creator, is treason. Let's take a look at the the rest of our passage in Romans, verses 21 through 26. They should be up here um, as well. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ 
And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So Christ came to live this perfect life that we were meant to live, and and he sacrifices himself on the cross so that he can sacrifice in our place. We talked about in the past uh, atonement that Christ made on the cross, that he actually took our place on the cross, our punishment that we were supposed to take, that was on him, on the cross. And he gave one condition for his doing this. If, if we want this applied to us, he gave us one condition. It's in like the most quoted verse of all times, even like at football games, John 3.16, what is it? Whoever believes in him, right? Is it up there? For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What does that believe mean? Believe that he existed? Because we tend to think that an awful lot. In today's society, we tend to think, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe he existed. Doesn't change anything about my life, but I believe he existed. But that's, that's not what he's saying. In, in, in John 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who uh, really intelligently asks him if he has to crawl back up in his mother's womb in order to be reborn, which is kind of an awkward spot in scripture. But um, he's talking to Nicodemus face to face. He's standing right in front of him and he's saying, hey, you have to believe in the son in order to have eternal life. He's not saying you have to believe that me standing here actually exists. That's completely ridiculous. That's like me walking up to Wolf and saying, hey, daddy, do you believe I exist? Or Dowdy. Dowdy's right there. Wolf, do you believe I exist? Why? I'm standing right there, right? <laughs> there's, there's, he's not saying that we need to believe that he exists. He's not saying that to Nicodemus, and he's not saying that to us 2,000 years later. Nicodemus has no doubt that he exists. He's standing right in front of him. And frankly, we don't have any excuse for not believing he exists either, by the way. If you want to go back through our 
uh, our podcasts on our website, uh, therevolutiononline.org. Dowdy has covered some of the historical evidence for Jesus. Um, Corey has covered some of that. If you're interested, go look those up. We have tons of evidence that Jesus actually existed. We don't have any reason to not believe he existed. And so he's telling Nicodemus not to believe that he exists, but to believe in him as the Savior, as, as the, the one that was foretold in the Old Testament as the coming Messiah. Believe that he was going to do all of the things that God promised back in the Old Testament. We can look at Ezekiel 36. Actually, if Corey just want to throw that up there, it would be quicker than me pulling it up. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. This is a prophecy. This is uh, God telling the Jewish people what he's going to do. And he says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations he's saying someday I'm going to send the Messiah and he's going to make this all better he's going to rip out that old stony black heart and replace it with one that actually beats one that's alive one that pumps blood He's going to cleanse us completely. So Jesus isn't telling Nicodemus to believe that he actually exists, but to believe that he's going to do that. I'm the Messiah. I'm here. I'm going to do this. So why is it that it has to be Jesus, though? That's, that's my main question tonight. Why does it have to be Jesus? Why, um, why didn't God ask us to believe that we can be better people? Why didn't God ask us to believe that uh, we believe in love amongst humankind? Why didn't God ask us to believe in some, uh, some just cause? Well, because belief is only as good as the thing that you believe in. So... Um, Whenever I was growing up, my dad would listen to, like, the most ridiculous country music that you've ever heard. Like, a lot of you guys have probably not even... He was, like, the hipster of country music. He, like, listened to the stuff that nobody else was listening to. So he really liked Guy Clark. Anybody actually heard of Guy Clark? We got one. Got one. And you guys live in southern Ohio. That's saying something. Um, he is a, a real folky country music player, and he had a song called The Cape. And it's about this kid that takes a flour sack and he ties it around his neck and he climbs on top of the garage and he jumps off believing he can fly and of course hits the ground. And so as the song progresses, he becomes an older man, he becomes a man and he ties the flour sack cape around his neck and he climbs up on the garage and he jumps off again and hits the ground again. 
One more time, it shows whenever he's an old man, he ties the flower sack cape around his neck and he jumps off the garage believing he can fly and he hits the ground again. He believes so much that he can fly, but he just can't. His belief in his ability to fly was only as, power as, his act, only as powerful as his actual ability to fly, which is zero. He can't do it. It's not possible. And so everybody just thinks he's kind of a crazy person. Uh, or to put it in kind of the realm of this room right now, every single one of you is believing that your chair will continue to hold you up for the rest of the time you're here, right? You have belief in the chair below you that it's going to hold you up the whole time. Actually, these same exact chairs, which we brought over from Chillicothe Street, whenever I was over there at free seminary class one time, I sat down on one, and it just like exploded. There were parts everywhere. I was on the floor. I was hurting, you know, and we got to picking them up and looking at what everything was there, and and it was missing a screw. Couldn't, couldn't hold me up. Wasn't doing its job. It was missing a screw. And so why doesn't Jesus ask us to believe in ourselves or believe in love amongst humankind? It's because we're missing screws. We are missing parts. We are not complete. We're broken. We don't have the ability. We can't do it. Jesus, our Redeemer, says that, don't worry, I got this. I live that life for you. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be perfect. I will give you my perfection. So whenever you stand in front of God, the judge of the universe, he sees the perfection of Jesus, not the imperfection of Eric in this life. And so in theology, this, this transfer of righteousness is called imputed righteousness. And the definition of an impute is that you would represent something as being done, caused, or possessed by someone. So Jesus takes his infinite bank account of righteousness, and he takes our flat broke bank account of righteousness, and he gives us all of it. And puts our name as the account holder. So that whenever God looks at our bank account of righteousness, he sees Jesus' righteousness, not our own. And so, we, when we trust in Christ uh, and his work on the cross, and, and we follow him in this life, uh, the Father is actually going to judge us and accept Christ's punishment in our place and also attributes Christ's righteousness to us. So we actually have righteous standing before God in that moment. Not earned. We didn't do a thing for it. It's a free gift. But I don't think this stops right there. I don't think this stops at... Uh, yeah, Eric, I hear what you're saying. I believe, I believe what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus, please give me that righteousness. I need it. Please take that punishment for me. I need it. 
which is absolutely true. It doesn't stop at praying a prayer. It doesn't stop at coming up here and being baptized. It doesn't stop at showing up here once a week. But if we actually take a look at uh, John 3.17, right after John 3.16, it says that God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, or some versions say condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That Jesus' intention is not to come here and just send everybody to hell. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. That's not his intention. That's not what he wants. He wants reconciliation with us. And we don't deserve it. But he's offering it for free. The thing about that is, is the only people... The only way people actually know about that is if they hear it. We actually have to share it with people. We have to tell people about this hope that we can have in Christ. Otherwise, how are they, they going to find out about it? It's very unlikely. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very unlikely that God's going to zap the gospel into people like they did, like he did Paul. It's probably not going to happen. But we have to actually share the hope that we have. We have to share that, that Christ took on our punishment on the cross. They lived the perfect life in our place so that he could transfer that for us to our lives. So that whenever we die and we're standing before the Father, he sees Jesus and he says, you're good. You got the stamp of approval. You've got perfection on your side. All I see is Jesus' perfection when I look at you. People in Portsmouth are not going to hear that unless we tell them. And that's our goal. That's what this entire series is about, the Great Commission, that we should go out and make disciples of all nations. That includes Portsmouth, Ohio. I know it's a backwards place that somehow has a black hole and keeps people here, right? But that we were to go out and make disciples of every nation and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus make disciples? I was talking to the college students about this on Tuesday night at our Bible study. But he did life with them. He discipled them. To make disciples mean, means to teach them, to love them, to be a part of their lives, to live alongside them, to show them things about God, to teach them truth, to go through difficult times together. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. That's how he did it. That's how we're to do it. We live in Portsmouth. We live in the surrounding area. That's our job. That's our commission. That's what we've been charged to do. And like we've been saying for months now, like apathy is not an option. We can't just blow this one off. Like, if anything, this is everything. This is everything we're supposed to do. Can't. We can't blow it off. Because people are perishing around us. Let's pray.
God, we pray for our hearts tonight, that you would open them up to your gospel. And even if we've heard the gospel a thousand times before, that it would become new in our hearts and it would light us on fire to go out into Portsmouth, to go out into this area and to show people's Show people Jesus' love for them through service, through living life with them and through teaching them, through sharing the gospel with them. God, I pray that we can share the hope that we have, that we would have a renewed uh, admiration for what you did on the cross. That it wouldn't stop with Easter and remembering once a year what you did on the cross, but that it was every single day that we would choose to follow you to the cross and and to share that hope that we have with everyone around us. Lord, I pray that you would just light us on fire. Get us pumped up for you. Help us to see every person around us who doesn't know you as perishing, as possibly spending eternity apart from you. And if we truly want the best for them and truly love them, that we would share the gospel with them. Because if we want the best for them, then we want you for them. Help us to wrestle with that. Convict us. And God, let us lay down any any trepidation we have about sharing the gospel, anything that holds us back, anything that scares us about sharing the gospel, let us lay it down and worship tonight that that would be dead in us, that we would be bold for the gospel no matter what the situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.